Welcome to the Valley Point Podcast in the series, There's More. This week, our big idea is be a person of one book. We're going to spend some time in the book of Psalm in chapter 119. Enjoy and thanks for listening. You take your Bible or your smart device, I want you to turn to Psalm chapter 119, and we're going to look at a paragraph in Scripture there that just has something unique to say about how Scripture truly can be written on our hearts. So Psalm 119, and while you're turning there and while you're finding that, I just want to say it is great to be back at Valley Point Church, and I have missed you. We've been on vacation for a couple of weeks as a family, and we are, you know, enjoyed the summer and have had some time to relax. And a couple of weeks ago, we were actually with a friend who happens to be a pastor at his church in Delaware. And then last week, we were with some other friends, and we went to their church in Annapolis, Maryland. And I enjoyed all of my time at those churches, but I got to tell you, I really missed being here. I missed you. And it feels good to be back. It feels good to be home. And you were missed, honestly. Ask Tanya, my wife, as we were away, I'm like, I can't wait to get back at Valley Point and just talk and share again because this is home. And so it feels really, really good to be here, and it's great to see you. What we've been doing with our summer is we're in this series called There's More, and here's what it's about. It's about saying that my friendship with God can be so much more than just a Sunday thing. Actually, my friendship with God should be so much more than just a Sunday thing. And here's what helps me to get there. Here's what helps me to have a there's more kind of friendship with God. Spiritual disciplines. And so as we shine the light on them and as we begin to practice these different ancient disciplines in our lives, they actually can take our friendship with God to a new level. And so all summer long, we've just been introducing some different spiritual disciplines and saying this isn't easy, this is kind of challenging, but we need to look at this and we need to concentrate on this discipline and we need to practice at it and get better because if we do that as a church, as individuals, we can have a there's more kind of friendship with God. And so today I'm going to introduce another spiritual discipline, but before I do that, I want to go back and review a little bit of where we've been, because it's really easy to keep introducing new things and say, all right, that's what I've got to concentrate on, and that's what I've got to figure out, and that's what I need to get better at while neglecting everything that's happened before this conversation. And so we've already introduced five different disciplines And we can't forget about these things. Again, the reason we don't want to do that is because if we practice them, and if we get better step by step, we can have a there's more kind of friendship with God. So we started this series with an introduction of the spiritual discipline of joy. And here's what we said. Living a joy-filled life is possible. It's possible. It's not necessarily easy, but it's possible. And what we talked about is how joy and celebration is at the heart of who God is. If you kind of take God and you just open up his heart, you will find joy there. You will find celebration there. And so it only makes sense that if that's what God is like, 
That's what his followers should be like as well. And what we did on that week is we talked about the difference between joy and happiness. Happiness depends on the circumstances around me. And if those things are great and wonderful, then I might be happy. But if my life is in the tank or I'm walking through a storm, I might not be happy, but I can still have joy. Because joy supersedes happiness. And joy is based on the fact that my life is God's gift to me. So that's the spiritual discipline of joy. So we can walk around and we can smile and we can laugh and we can be filled with celebration because that's what God wants for us. The week after that, we talked about the spiritual discipline of prayer. And we said this, live a wine-free life. All right? Live a complaining-free life. And prayer makes it possible for us to do that. We said prayer is a good thing because prayer changes things. That doesn't always make sense, and that can't always be explained, but we need to be praying, and we need to be developing this discipline in our life because prayer simply changes things. And as we pray, and as we get better at that step by step, it allows us to live a wine-free kind of life. After that, we introduced the spiritual discipline of servanthood. And what we said is that living an appropriately small life is actually a big way to live. And we looked at the life and the example of Jesus, who is the ultimate servant, like nobody is better than him. And what Jesus did is he simply said and acted this way. He said, Others first, others first, others first. And that was the pattern of his life. He's God with flesh on, and and he's still saying, I have to be a servant, and I'm going to place the needs of others first. And we talked about some practical ways that we can be servants as well and embrace this spiritual discipline. After that, we introduced the spiritual discipline of receiving guidance from the Holy Spirit. And we said, live a God-directed life. Or be sure that you arrange everything in your world to be listening to God through the Holy Spirit and what He wants for you. And when we live a God-directed life, great things can happen for us. And we can have a lot of impact in the lives of the people around us as well. And then last week, we introduced the spiritual discipline of confession. And confession is a hard thing, but it actually leads to our healing. And when we step into the presence of God and confess our stuff and our junk and our sin, there's something that is so freeing and relieving about that, and it begins the healing process. But it's hard because often we resist that. We just don't want to do that. We kind of want to hang on to things or we assume God doesn't know about them or God's not aware. God is aware. And even though he's aware, he invites us. Come on in. Step into my presence. Confess it. And we'll begin the healing process. Those are the five spiritual disciplines that we've talked about so far. Today I want to introduce another one. And here's the discipline. It's time in Scripture. It's time in this book right here. It's time investigating God's words. 
And here's the big idea. Become a person of one book, okay? Become a person of one book. So our spiritual discipline is time in Scripture, time in God's Word, time right here. And our big idea is let's become a people or a group of one book. So as we think about that, i got a couple of questions for you. Question number one. If you're stuck on an island somewhere, if you're trapped and you have no devices and the only thing that you can bring with you is one book, what would that book be? Now, play along with me a little bit, okay? Because you know where this is headed, so don't say the Bible yet, all right? Because none of us are that spiritual. So just pause on that for a second and think about the one book that you would bring. Now, some of you are saying, I don't read at all, so I'm good to go. Actually, you're going to be bored to death. So keep thinking about that one book that you can bring if you're trapped or stuck. If it were me, I think I'd bring a John Grisham novel. I love reading John Grisham books, and they're just filled with mystery and intrigue and suspense, and there's a lot of plot twists, and I just love those books. So if I'm stuck, if I'm going to be trapped, I want to have a John Grisham novel. And you probably have your favorite author too. But I also like reading about history and other subjects, and so you probably are thinking about that one book right now. Here's the follow-up to that. And again, you know where this is headed because we're talking about time in Scripture. So, what about the Bible, though? What about the Bible? And what would it take in our lives for that to be the one thing we would say, if I'm stuck, if I'm trapped somewhere for a long time, forget about all of the other authors, I have to have a copy of Scripture in my hands if I'm going to make it through that time. What about the Bible? So question one, if you're trapped, if you're stuck on an island, what's that one book? And here's the second question. What would it take or what would need to be rearranged in your life for you to have a thirst for Scripture that consistently drove you to spending time reading God's letter? What would it take? Or what would you need to adjust or rearrange in your life so that you had a thirst for Scripture? And not in a guilty-driven kind of way. Like, oh, I have to take the Bible because I know God wants me to read it, and I know there's great stuff in there, and I should be doing that. That's what my mom said many years ago. So i got to honor mom. I better take the Bible, or some pastor said it. And I know it's a great book, so I'll do it out of guilt. I'm not talking about guilt. We're actually talking about a thirst and a hunger that is so pervasive in our lives that we hunger and we thirst for spending more and more time right here. And if we were stuck somewhere, that would be the biggest deal to us that we had a copy of God's letter. What would it take to be in that place? Here's what it takes. Here's the secret. Ready for this? Not a surprise. It's actually pretty simple, really. Here's what it takes. Here's the secret. Discipline. That's what it takes. Discipline and practice, and then more discipline and more practice, and then more discipline and more practice. Because here's the thing. 
time in gives us a greater desire for more. Think about that. Time in gives us a greater desire for more. And we will never want more of this book if it is nothing more than a table ornament. This won't. Won't be a big deal. And it won't be the book. Which brings us to Psalm 119. If you actually take your Bible and open it up about halfway, you're going to be in the book of Psalm, and you might actually be in Psalm 119. If you open it up from the beginning and just start turning to the right, you're going to flip past Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and we're going to talk about those books in a bit, and they're just fascinating. If you keep going to the right, you're going to read about some kings and some judges and how God interacted with his people, just amazing stories there. If you keep going, you're going to find a little book called Ruth. It's like a chick flick. It's a great story. I'd encourage you to read it sometime, actually. And then if you keep going to the right, you're going to come to the book of Psalm and eventually Psalm 119. And this is just a great chapter in Scripture. So I want to share some facts and some stats with you if you're into that. Psalm 119 is full of them. So... Think about this. Psalm 119 is the longest psalm as well as the longest chapter in the Bible. There's all kinds of words tucked into this great chapter. It's the prayer of one who delights in and lives by the Torah, also called the sacred law. Again, the Torah is the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And Psalm 119 is a prayer by someone who saw the value in the Torah. And they loved those first five books. They were just crazy about those books, and they knew that it could give them a lot of direction in life. And so Psalm 119 is based on an individual who had memorized a lot of those words and knew them and also understood, I've got to be a person of one book, and I love God's book. I love the Torah. And so this is actually a prayer that we're going to read in a moment from someone who just got it. And they wanted to spend time ingesting these words. With its 176 verses, Psalm 119 has more verses than 14 Old Testament books and 17 New Testament books. So just a lot of words packed in this chapter. Now here's what I want us to do. To just get a feel for this and for us to understand how rich these words are. We're going to actually slowly and methodically read all 176 verses. <laughs> Relax, all right? We're not going to do that. Some of you looked a little worried there, like maybe it's my chance to escape. I'm actually going to begin reading with verse 97, all right? And I'm going to read through verse 104. And again, these are rich words. It's a prayer by somebody who was a person of one book. So out of respect for God and his word. Would you stand with me as I read? Verse 97. Oh, how I love your instructions. I think about them all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are my constant guide. Yes, I have more insight than my teachers, for I am always thinking of your laws. I'm even wiser than my elders, for I've kept your commandments. I have refused to walk on any evil path, 
so that I may remain obedient to your word. I haven't turned away from your regulations, for you have taught me well. How sweet your words taste to me. They are sweeter than honey. And your commandments give me understanding. No wonder I hate every false way of life. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his words. You may be seated. I want to share some thinking points from Psalm 119 that really build the case for why value Scripture. Or what we're thinking about is why be a person of one book. We're trying to figure this out. We're trying to think through this. And again, if we want to have a there's more kind of life, time in Scripture is an absolute necessity. So how can we become a person of one book. Well, here's some thinking points from this great chapter. Number one, God's word guides. In other words, there is power in these words, and there are commands and instructions, and there are principles and thoughts that actually guide us. There is power here that will guide us through life if we let it. Notice verse 98 again. Your commands, here's what they do. They make me wiser than my enemies, for they are my constant guide. Yes, I have more insight, and that word insight there means I have more understanding. So I have more understanding, I have more insight than my teachers, for I am always thinking of your laws. I am even wiser than my elders, for I have kept, that's more than observed, all right, that's more than I've I've read them, or I intellectually understand them. I've actually kept them. I've kept all of your commandments. See, God's word gives that to me. It is a guide, and that is a huge advantage in life. So ultimately, when you think about ingesting Scripture, when you think about time in, it guides me, and it gives me more understanding and more insight than my enemies. It makes me wiser than my teachers and gives me more understanding and more insight than the elders that are around me. This is a great advantage, but it only happens with time in. So God's word guides. And again, there's amazing thoughts and principles and instructions and commands right here. God's word gives that to me. Part of the language here helps us to understand that God's word is not obsolete, See, often we think that. I know sometimes, occasionally, I fall into that trap as well. It's like, hey, here's a big issue that I'm facing in life. Or here's a big thing that's happening in my world or even in the world. And there's no way that God has anything to say about that at all. And that couldn't be further from the truth. See, God's word is as relevant today as the day that it was written and published And it is something that guides us through life. But again, time in. Time in. Time in. We've got to become a person of one book. So God's word guides, and it is not obsolete. There's a second thought. God's word gives me a thirst for following God. So time in gives me this thirst for following God, and I want you to notice this. Catch this. Following God always leads to obeying God. Like, this is really rich. 
A thirst for God's word and time in ingesting this gives me a desire like never before to follow him. And following God always leads to obeying him. I don't think this information is widely known. Because if it were, I know for myself, I would spend a lot more time in Scripture ingesting these words because it gives me this great passion, this thirst for following, and following always leads to obedience. Verse 101 says, I have refused to walk on any evil path so that I may remain obedient to your word. I haven't turned away, which means I haven't departed I haven't departed to the right or to the left, or I haven't done an about-face, nothing like that. I haven't turned away from your regulations, for you have taught me well. See, when I ingest these words, I have a thirst for more. Time in gives me a greater desire for more. Listen, if you feel as if God's word is too tough, too complicated, too confusing, too boring, you will Always feel that way about it until you jump in and give it a shot. It won't change. That opinion won't change until you change. And what needs to drive our thoughts is that time in gives me a thirst for more. When I have more, I follow God. And when I'm following God, I'm being obedient to him. And this is a great thing for living. Thirdly, God's word tastes good. It does. Verse 103. It says, how sweet. That word means smooth or agreeable or pleasant. So how sweet, how smooth, how agreeable, how pleasant your words taste to me. They are sweeter than honey. Here's why they taste good. Your commandments give me understanding. No wonder I hate every false way of life. I got to be honest with you, this seems like a strange thing to say, doesn't it? Because we don't walk around and say, hey, I just finished a book and it was really delicious. <laughs> That's kind of a strange thing to say. Or, boy, those words were scrumptious. <laughs> People don't say that today. But you got to think about this culture and this time and context and words were everything because it's all that they had. Rewind with me for a little bit to the days of Jesus. And what we discover in the days of Jesus is that they didn't have books, and so what they memorized and what they knew was a very big deal to them. As part of the training for young Jewish children, they would take them to the temple at age six, and that's when they would begin their schooling. And what they would do is they would begin reading through the Torah, First five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And because they didn't have many copies of Scripture at all, they would have to memorize all of that. And so that's what the rabbi would do in school. They would open up the Bible, and they just begin to memorize chunks of Scripture so that by age 10, think about this now, from age 6 to age 10, Jewish children pretty much memorized the first five books of the Bible. They had it. It was down. Again, remember, they didn't have books, so words were everything. And if they wanted to pass on traditions and if they wanted to pass on stories to their children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, they had to know this and they had to memorize it. And so by age 10, they had it down. 
Tradition tells us that the rabbis occasionally would take honey and, and they would put it on the fingers of the students. And then they would ask the students to actually taste the honey. And as they would do that, they would say, just remember what we're reading, what we're observing, what we are memorizing. It is as sweet and as exquisite as honey. God's words taste good and that carried with them through life. It's really remarkable. Now, I'm not a fan of honey. I don't really like it. So I tried to think of a different way to categorize this or say it. And I think I would say verse 103 like this. How sweet your words taste to me. They are sweeter than cheesecake. Do I have any cheesecake fans? All right, a few. Last night I was actually out with some friends and we had a great time and we had a wonderful dinner. And then for dessert, we had cannolis that were the size of my head. They were just incredible. So maybe we could actually read this verse to say, how sweet your words taste to me. They are sweeter than cannolis, right? So cannolis, cheesecake, whatever it is that you want to put there that you like on your fingers that tastes good to you, you can kind of put that right here as a reminder to you that we should be thinking about God's word in this way. And his words actually have the ability to taste good. Now, for those of you who are a bit healthier, maybe you could say it, how sweet your words taste to me. They are sweeter than hummus. And it just doesn't work. So back to cheesecake and back to cannolis. Listen, God's word is tasty, okay? And we can discipline and train ourselves to want more of it. We really can. Family and I had a chance to spend a week in Ocean City, New Jersey. And just a wonderful place, had a great time there and got to be on the beach. But forget about the beach and the ocean and the boardwalk. On this wonderful island, there's a donut shop on either end. There's browns on one end and there's dots on the other. And these donuts are like a taste of heaven. I kid you not. And so we would go to one end and I would eat some and think, I'm not so sure I can continue to eat donuts here. So let's go down to the other end and let's stop at Dots because they haven't seen us yet today. And we just ate donuts all week long. It was fantastic. When you eat donuts, or at least when I do, I want more and more of them. Now, come on. This This is not difficult, okay? This is not complicated. When I begin to throw myself into Scripture, I will want more and more of it. That's just the way that it works. And I won't shoot my cholesterol through the roof. It's a good thing. So time in gives me a desire for more. And again, we will never want more of this if we never pick it up, if it is never more than a table ornament. So today is about saying, let's practice this. Let's get better. And let's think about how these words can guide and help us follow God, which leads to obedience while giving us a taste for more and more and a desire for more and more because God's words are tasty. All right, let's get practical about this discipline. How can we practice? How can we improve? How can we get to a place where we are a person of one book? Takeaway number one, if you participated in LifeVerse back in January, it's time to dust off that verse. 
or verses. If you were here, you know we had a whole time where we said pick a verse or a couple of verses that are meaningful and memorable to you and just write it down somewhere and allow that to guide you for the year. Now, if you weren't here in January, I'm going to give you the opportunity to think about that as well. But if you were, do you remember your verse? you remember what you put down? Do you remember what you memorized? Is that still driving you? Or is it time to kind of pull that back out, dust it off, and review it, and allow it once again to dominate our heart and to be at the front of our minds? If you had that verse back in January, go back, review it, dust it off, and allow that to drive you. See, that's giving yourself a taste for more and more of Scripture. If you weren't here in January, it's pretty simple. You can just begin to read and you find a verse that sticks out to you or is memorable and write it down and memorize it. I would encourage you to do that and allow that verse to just really impact your life from here to the end of the year. It's not too late to do that. Maybe even something from Psalm 119 will grab your attention and that's the verse for you. Get a verse or a set of verses And allow that to drive your life. Secondly, choose a one-week reading plan and ask God to meet you in Scripture. Tried to make it really simple, and I actually included a one-week reading plan in your program. So if you want to pull that out and look at it, it's reading through the entire chapter of, of Psalm 119. There's a lot of verses there, but if you break it up from Monday through Friday, you can do it. And you'll be reading a lot of words, more than some Old Testament books and even some New Testament books. So you'll really accomplish a lot in one week. And I would encourage you to grab that plan or whatever else you may be doing and read this week, ingest some scripture into your heart and into your life and ask God to meet you there. See, here's the deal. I'm convinced if we just get really humble before God and say, God, will you help me with this? Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's confusing and we don't always understand. But I believe if we get humble before God and say, God, would you please show me something? God, I, I need something this week. Or I'm walking through a fire right now. Or life is challenging. Or maybe life is good and you still want God to show you something. Ask God for that. And I believe... He, as a loving Heavenly Father, wants nothing more than to meet you right in these pages. He wants you to enjoy this. He wants you to sense that His words taste good. I think if you just get humble before God and ask for that, He's going to do it. He's going to give you something. And then, like the writer here in Psalm, you'll be able to say, wow, those words were tasty. That's exactly what I needed at this point in my life. So find a reading plan Ask God to meet you there. He'll do it. He'll do it. Here's a third takeaway. Take one thought or verse with you through the day. So don't just read and power through to check it off the list, but actually ask God to meet you there and take one thought or one word or one item, something that just stood out to you, and carry that with you throughout the day. See, this is how. This is how we get disciplined with time in Scripture. This is how we practice. And this is how we become a person 
of one book. Father, we're so thankful for a little bit of time today just to think about what you want to say to us. And God, we've introduced a whole new spiritual discipline today that can be very challenging at times. It's something that we forget about often. I know I do. And so, God, I want to get better at this. And I need your help. And so I pray for myself and I pray for everybody in this room, God, that you would just give us a desire to spend more time investigating your letter to us. God, more time in gives us a desire to keep reading and to keep going. God, often we just don't even start. We just don't even start. So God, I pray that you'd help each and every one of us this week to start, to implement, to begin reading, knowing that time in gives us a greater desire for more. God, I pray that there would be more and more and more people from Valley Point Church and even beyond that are saying, God's word is really tasty. God, if that happened to us, we'd be so contagious, so dynamic, so influential that we probably wouldn't even know what to do with ourselves. So God, we ask for that. We want understanding and insight and wisdom. God, we can chase that in a lot of different ways, but you make it pretty clear reading your word, we get that as well. Time in scripture, God, help us to get a whole lot better and help us to become people of one book. God, as we just kind of reflect now and think and respond to this, help our hearts to be open to what you're saying to us by your word, the scripture. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We'd also love to have you join us on any Sunday morning as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 or 11 a.m.